In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Three years ago, at this time of year, do you remember where you were or what you were doing? For some of us, it has drifted into obscurity, a closing of a most difficult time. Three years ago, we were dawning on the revelation that this monstrosity of a virus that we had never heard before wasn't going away like a typical flu season would. We had missed an Easter together, and as the virus continued to rage, we recognized that the ritual of children going back to school was not going to happen. And people learned new tasks. They learned to sew masks for themselves and others in order to order groceries online to keep their distance from others, a minimum of six feet. The world was not as it should be. We longed for the world to return to normal, whatever that was. The imperfect world had been wrestled from our hands and placed in a place we longed for, and we looked for it to return, if not soon, then swiftly. But the virus continued its relentless path of destruction for yet another year, and we finally began to talk of a new normal because so much had changed. The world had changed. We had changed. Society had changed. As the virus morphed into new variants and vaccines that did not always prevent the virus, but lessened its effects, appeared on the scene, hope was born. And we began to dream of being together, of traveling to see friends and loved ones, of worshiping without distancing, of actual and not spiritual communion, and of the return of the common cup. Oh, how I missed the common cup. I longed for it in ways as a nurse I never could have imagined I would long for. Now we are on the other side of that period, and we can never return to what the old normal was. And the new normal has come with its own set of challenges. A perfectly good name, which means pure and clear, Karen, is now a meme for people insisting their own way at others' expense and demanding managerial intervention instead of rationally and calmly solving problems like adults ought to be able to, and also learning how to accept no that we were taught as three-year-olds. We planned for vacations discovering planes that you once could set your watch on could run late if your flight occurred at all. And even if you did board, would someone decide that their comfort was more important than the plans of 300 others and create a scene requiring police intervention before you even left the airport? And the Black Lives Matter movement that drew attention to the unfair and illegal treatment of members of our society was weaponized by people who believed that banning books, ignoring history, restricting health care, and staying asleep was much more important than living out the promise to strive for justice and peace among all people and to respect the dignity of every human being. This was not the new normal I was looking for. This is not the dream of God for the world. And this is not the first time that the dream of God for the world did not match the reality of what was going on. In around 80 or 90 CE, when our gospel text was written, their normal wasn't right either. It was during the time of the Roman occupation of Jerusalem, the Pax Romana, the peace of Jerusalem, which was much more like the robbing, thieving power of Rome for those under its thumb. In this highly divided society, 
Luke writes his powerful and rich patron, Theophilus. This name, which means lover of God, invites us into a gospel that welcomes all who love God, not just the ones in power, and shows from the beginning that Jesus is available to all. A few verses before our reading this morning, an angel has appeared to the Blessed Virgin Mary, our patron, announcing that she, a virgin, this young lady, would become pregnant without human intervention and carry the promised hope of Israel and all the world, the Son of God. Mary questions the angel related to the impossibility of it, and the angel provides not only clarification of how it will occur, but also proof that this impossibility is simply an extension of the improbable with God. For the angel informed Mary that her relative, Elizabeth, was experiencing a promised birth that was humanly involved, but highly unlikely considering her very old age and that of her husband, Zechariah. So Mary goes off to see Elizabeth, and this is where our gospel text begins. And it is important because much of religious art places the words of the Magnificat with an angel nearby, but there's no angel. At this point in the text, only two women, marveling at the work of God quite literally within them. Two women living a new normal. It was not what either one expected, it was not according to their life plans, but they chose to celebrate the work of God that was present. When we pray the rosary, we repeat Elizabeth's greeting to Mary. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, later to be called Jesus. Mary's song is filled with wonder and joy, recalling the faithfulness of God in the many ways that God has worked throughout human history. Pope Benedict writes that the Canticle of Mary names a series of seven ways that God has repeatedly acted throughout history. He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich God has sent away empty. He has helped Israel. Because the incarnation is extended through the sacraments, particularly the Eucharists, the seven saving acts of God described in the Magnificat also apply to our lives today. In the Magnificat, we are not looking simply at the history of God, recalling and praising God for all that God has accomplished in the past, but we are also seeing all the ways that God is at work in our lives and in the world today. The Magnificat prompts us to ask, what is the work of God within me? What is the work of God within you? What is the work of God in all of us and how can we acknowledge and support it? For Elizabeth and Mary, they supported each other in their pregnancies. How fortunate it was for Mary to have an experienced woman to talk to during those first early months as her body changed. And for Elizabeth to have the vivacious energy of a young woman in her home. How is God showing his strength in the world and in our lives today? We are together. 
and good things are happening in our church, in our diocese, in our city, in our state, and in all the world, even if we have to look a bit harder to find them. We can look to where we can find and offer gratitude for what we have here, what we have in each other. Sure, we are not perfect, and I'm reminded of that every time I pass by a mirror. But if we look over our congregation, and if we look into the eyes of each one of us, we can see the gifts within each of us. How is God scattering the proud? Well, there is still much work to be done to scatter the proud, but we live in a country where we have a voice and a vote to use to make a difference. There is still much work to be done to join in God's plan, to elevate the lowly, to fill the hungry, not just with calories, but with good things, and to pause long enough in our consumption of riches to find the places of emptiness where God alone can fill. This passage of scripture, usually read in Advent, gives us a moment at this time of year to prepare our hearts afresh for noticing the work of God in an imperfect world and to rejoice in what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. The Blessed Virgin Mary articulates the dream of God for the world. It is filled with hope and with joy, and I can't imagine a better way to plan to move forward in this new normal.